You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick and Matty Rose on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Just two weeks left in the National Football League's regular season. 24 teams still eligible to make the postseason. A couple big games this weekend as well with, uh, with, uh, with number one seeds on the line, division titles on the line. And obviously a, a division title drought snapped after 30 years with the Detroit Lions. Welcome back to the big show. Peter Klein, Patty Dumas. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. We're joined by the host of the fan check down on the Sportsnet Radio Network, Matty Marchese. Matt, how are you doing this morning, buddy? I'm good, guys. How are you? Oh, doing just dandy. Got some uh, World Juniors on. It's a, it's a great time of year, obviously. And uh, two weeks left in the regular season in the NFL. Uh, 24 teams, like I said, still have a chance uh, at, at, at the postseason. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, man, we'll start off them uh, with them. 12-3, and three, they're hosting the Miami Dolphins. They clinch uh, the one seed with a win uh, over the Dolphins, and they, had a, they probably had the best win of the year uh, on uh, Monday night against the San Francisco 49ers. I'm not going to lie. I didn't see that one coming. No. Like, I, I did not have that one on my bingo card. <laughs> I'm watching this game, and I'm just saying, like, firstly, it was – a lot of it was self-inflicted as we know mm. by the Niners, but we need to give credit to the, to the Ravens because they, they go into this game and, and, you know, a lot of people, and, and certainly the Vegas line indicated as much. Well, they didn't give the Ravens a lot of respect. And, and I, for one was one of those people. Like I thought the game was going to be close. I said it was going to be within a field goal, but the way that the game was looked at was San Francisco is just that much better than the best team in the AFC. And what we saw was, well, that's not the case. And and the thing is, is I look at this Ravens team and I say, okay, there's no Mark Andrews. There's no J.K. Dobbins. Uh, there's there's no Keaton Mitchell on, on offense. And you're like, okay, a lot's going to fall on Lamar's shoulders. And, and he's great. And he's probably going to win the MVP, especially after that performance. But the way that that defense plays for Baltimore um, – Matabike, Kyle Hamilton, Roquan Smith, like all these guys. And I'm just naming a few of them. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, like you could go down the list. It's a really good defense. It's elite. Mm -hmm. And since they acquired Roquan Smith last year from the bears, it's been the best defense in football. And, and that's the key. Like when we talk about playoff teams, you have to be able to throw the ball, yes, because it's a passing league, as we know. But you have to be able to run the ball effectively, and you have to play good defense. And that's something that the Ravens do. And, I mean, it's it's easy for me to say this, but, yeah, they're going to be a really tough out in the playoffs because they could do all of those things. And you have to go to Baltimore to play playoff games now. Mm -hmm. And that's not something anybody really wants to do. Um, the thing for me with the Ravens is, though, is this is their team now. Like, outside of any other catastrophic injuries like they're not getting mark andrews back they're not getting keaton mitchell back they're not getting jk dobbins back on offense this is the team and the fact that they've been performing at that level missing key guys for me that's it's really impressive and it's a testament to the job that lamar has done this year uh let's not forget that he was made available and nobody everybody's like ah yep we're okay like hey atlanta <laughs> falcons yeah desmond ritter's just fine yeah yeah sure um but this is also a testament to the job that John Harbaugh has done with this team and consistently does with this team. The record that he has against the NFC is ridiculous. And he is, I don't think he gets talked about enough as one of the best coaches in the NFL. 
the the final i guess frontier for lamar jackson to to conquer is the postseason like we've we've established he can do this regular season thing pretty well um although this year does seem to be better than other years but he has had a couple of rough outings in the playoffs have you seen anything from him in the regular season that gives you maybe more confidence that he can do this uh with the the lights on bright late in january yeah, and I think it comes down to well, it's twofold. One, Lamar has done a better job of taking care of the football. That would be the first part. But secondly, the the marriage between himself and Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, has been a very good one. They've been able to throw the ball. Lamar has thrown the ball deeper than he ever has in his career, and he's been successful at doing so. The addition of Zay Flowers obviously is really good. And then, you know, we could we could laugh and joke about Odell Beckham Jr., but he's been a lot better of late, and he's certainly not the player that we saw uh, during his heyday with the Giants and, and even during his time with the Rams when they won the Super Bowl. Like, he's not that same player, but he's really good, and – and even the emergence of Isaiah Likely with no Mark Andrews really tells a story about the depth that this group has. And that's part and parcel for why Lamar has been so successful. He just has better players around him. And the fact that he's done it without, you know, like we said, J.K. Dobbins and now without Keaton Mitchell, like Gus Edwards is is a good player, but he certainly doesn't give you the same skill set as those other two guys do. What it's shown us is Lamar can throw the ball and win football games. And that's something mm -hmm. that we haven't really been able to say all that often about him. And it's just, you know, the, the sample size is there for the entire season. And, and that's where I think the confidence lies with me. It's not just about stopping Lamar with his legs anymore. You have to stop Lamar with his arm. And that's going to be a difficult task because he's a guy that can do both. And, and that's why I think he's going to be able to have some success in the playoffs. As long as the defense keeps playing the way they are, they're going to be in really good shape. Maybe it's it's obviously a little bit of recency bias, but with, with every week it's seeming like there's a new front runner for MVP. Like this week it's Lamar. And I think we're all in agreement. Like it's been Lamar. You know, he's been probably the most consistent in that position. But just like each week it's seemingly a new front runner. Like it was Brock Purdy. It's Christian McCaffrey's Niners lose. And then like, what happens if the Ravens have a stinker against the Dolphins? Did two, does two and Tyreek come back into the conversation? Have you ever seen in, in recent memory that th this many guys have a chance at MVP? No, not in recent memory. Like yeah. this is kind of a microcosm of the, the year. entire NFL season. Yeah, because yeah, every week <laughs> there's just something silly that happens. You know, this past week, I mean, let's just point to that game specifically: the Ravens and the Niners, game of the year, and that. We should stop calling games game of the year before mm -hmm. they happen mm -hmm. because they never turn out. <laughs> now, it was a game of the year for the Ravens. Yeah. It wasn't for the Niners. But and and every week it's something new every week. You know, like good teams are losing to bad. Teams. Look at the Chiefs this week. Yeah, I've I've never seen a team implode like that on consecutive plays <laughs> like they did against the Raiders. And now the Chiefs, you're looking, I'm going, well, what's going to happen with the chiefs here? Like, are they going to be the four seed? Are they going to be the three seed? Do we, they're not going to be the two seed. It doesn't look like. So I think the MVP race is just a reflection of how this entire season has gone. The any given Sunday thing yep. is really kind of taken full force here. And it's shown us that there are all, there's some good teams. There's a lot of teams that are kind of the same and there's some bad teams. I haven't seen that in a while where it feels like every given week somebody could win and, and somebody could have 
a big upset. Like the, the best case that I can, the, the best scenario that I can say kind of reflects the season is look at the Cleveland Browns and what they've done. Mm-hmm. They had Deshaun Watson, who was horrible at the start of the year. They were still winning football games. Then it went from him to PJ Walker and they're still in games. And then it was, Dor- well, sorry, it was Dorian Thompson Robinson first. Then it's like, oh, all of our quarterbacks suck. Deshaun Watson's not coming back this year. Hey, Joe Flacco, what are you doing? And now Joe, Fl- like if you had to pick the MVP from the last four weeks, it's probably Joe Flacco. Yeah. Like that's how I'm looking at it. So the if you just look at the Browns as an entity, that is the best description for this entire season. The year of the backup, uh, defenses are outplaying offenses in a lot of cases. And, and here we are uh, with two weeks left in the season and we still have no idea what's going to happen with the playoff picture. Uh, over in the in the NFC, uh, this is uh, the, the Eagles. Maybe got one back, uh, got righted the ship maybe a little bit there against the uh, against the Giants. Do you still have uh, have concerns with this team? Because I do. I'm not a big fan of this. Like I did not was not impressed with their game against the Giants. No, I'm I'm not impressed with them at all. I mean, it's the Giants. The Giants aren't very. The, you know, the Tommy DeVito story was great. Yeah, getting Joe Barry every week. Still not a. Yeah, they're still not a great football team. Like so, and that's why I look at the game and go, "Yeah, it's a perfect, it's the perfect timing for the for the Eagles in that moment because that's a team that you can have a get right game." And they ran the ball more effectively. Yes, they they passed the ball just fine, but like you also don't want to play a soft schedule going into the playoffs, mm-hmm. and that's what they're doing. Like they're going to play the Cardinals Giants again before the end of the next year. week. This week they're going to play the Cardinals this week with Jonathan Gannon like return game. I, I they're they're gonna win their yeah they're gonna win their division but it's not like it's like whoa boy look at the eagles they're flying high no they're gonna play they're gonna play two bad teams and a team that they just beat again to end the regular season and they're not gonna get a bye and if they finish second uh they're gonna play you know the seahawks or the vikings or the packers and you're like okay whatever but then they're going to have to play good football teams. And are you going to be battle-tested enough? And everybody's going to say, well, they went to the Super Bowl last year. Well, they also didn't return that many starters, especially on defense. Like, it's a big changeover. Uh, that includes the coordinators. Like, they lost both of their coordinators. So I- I'm not super confident in the Eagles. The one thing that I will say is, on offense, if they can figure it out, they can outscore their problems on defense. They have a mm-hmm. ton of playmakers. You know, that starts with Jalen Hurts, and then you can, you know, go down the list. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, uh, DeAndre Swift, go Dallas Goddard. Like, it's a pretty it's a pretty formidable group. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have a really good offensive line, and then they've got guys that can sprinkle in here and there with a guy like Kenny Gainwell. So, I think that if their offense can get right, they can outscore their problems, but their defense is the concern for me. Their defense just is, it's not good enough for me. And it's certainly not what it was last year. And you're not going to be able to just run, you know, kind of like have the Raven strategy of run the ball effectively and play good defense. The Eagles aren't going to be able to do that because, you know, if they go up against, even if they play a team like the Rams or the Bucks, those are good offenses that have been moving the ball. You don't really want to get into a shootout mm-hmm. with a lot of teams if you don't have to. So, I, I'm not confident in the Eagles. Like, I think the Cowboys are better right now, but the Cowboys also will have to play all road games, so they're not going to go anywhere either mm-hmm. because it's been it's been very uh, well documented how bad the Cowboys have been on the road this year. Yeah. 
you kind of touched on Kansas City a bit before, but I, I do want to kind of double back to them because that was quite the loss against the, the Raiders um, or, or on this weekend. Nine and six now. The offense, like the defense looks great. The offense, it's been ugly for a little bit. Do you think there is a fix there or is this going to have to just be grinded out through this year and try to address this in the offseason now? Oh, no, there, there, there is no fix here. There, there's yeah. unless Tyree kills walking through the door, there's no fix for that. Firing Matt Nagy would be a they start. Don't, <laughs> well, I mean, well, that that's another loss that we don't talk about enough. Is the enemy. The enemy. And, you know, especially some of the, you know, like the, the decision in your own, I guess they were even, it was, you know, they weren't even at their 30 yet. And they decide to go the direct snap to Isaiah Pacheco. And he tries to hand it off to Patrick Mahomes. And like, this is why bad things happen. And I feel like Eric B at points last year was the voice in Andy Reid's head that said, let's not do this here. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've seen way more of that with Eric B not there this rinky dink stuff that you're like, okay, well you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Should you really be doing a direct snap to Isaiah Pacheco so we can hand it off to Patrick Mahomes? Like, what are we doing here? So I feel like they tried, they've tried to get too cute and, and that's, you know, to try and mask their problems. Like, Hey, look at this, look at this wonderful play that we have drawn up here, but the rest of the offense stinks. If I'm not mistaken, the chiefs still to this point have not won a football game this year when their defense allows 20 or more points. Mm -hmm. That can't happen. Wow. And that's something that we would never have said with a Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey-led offense. Even last year, where they didn't have Tyree Kill and won a Super Bowl, we were not having those conversations. And I keep going back to it, and everybody wants to tell me I'm wrong, and I believe that I'm correct. They don't have Juju Smith-Schuster either. And he was at least a guy, and Rasheed Rice is getting to that point. But Juju Smith-Schuster freed up Travis Kelsey at least a little bit because I don't know if Travis Kelsey is so worried about his personal life right now, but this is not the same player that we, we've seen in years past. The and helmet I know throw. he's getting older. Yeah, yeah 100%. Even the Patrick Mahomes blow up yep. after the Bills game. That's something we never saw from Patrick Mahomes. This is a frustration that has been building over the entirety of the season. And I don't see a quick fix here. Like I, I don't see better players walking in the door. I don't see their receivers just all of a sudden not drawing passes. I also don't see them, you know, not beating themselves because that's been a lot of what's happened, whether it be penalties on the offensive line, whether it be Kadarius Tony going offside or dropping footballs or having them hit his chest and it's returned for a pick six. Like all of these things have been going on throughout the season. I don't think they just figure it out in a playoff game. Like, we thought there was a time and as early as last year where Arrowhead was a place that you did not want to go to play, forget playoff games, regular season games. And the bills went in and beat them. The Raiders went in and beat them. And now we're looking at it going, well, hold on a second. Like, is there any fear in playing the Kansas city chiefs at home or on the road? And I think the answer is no, I don't think mm -hmm. anybody fears them. They may look at the defense and go, hold on a second. Um, but the offense certainly has not been, you know, a, a juggernaut. And I can't remember which corner said it. I think it was Jack Jones from the Raiders just said it. He said, Patrick Mahomes is a magician. And when you stop the magician, you stop the act. And that's been very much the case this year. And, and, and like right now you'd be staring at like their opponent in the first round, Buffalo bills would be going right back into Arrowhead. Like I, that can't be a matchup that the chiefs would be too I happy with. I still have with. PTSD. Guys. I know. I, I, I know, can't do it. I, I know. I, I can't do it. I can't. Although it's I a wild know, card I know game they have, don't have Tyree kill. It's different. I know. I just like, 
Something about it. I don't know. Just got to take I'm it 13 nervous. seconds I'm at a time. You just got to just grind your way through that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I, like, I'm even worried about the Bills at home against the Patriots this week because this is the life of being a Bills fan. Yeah, These are the things that I worry about. I shouldn't I shouldn't have had to sweat through a Bills-Chargers game <laughs> no, no. on Saturday night, but there I was sweating it out going, are they really going to lose this game to Easton Stick and and no Keenan Allen, no Justin Herbert, no Joey Bosa? Yeah, that, that would be my life. Yep. Um, what would it be like? I know it looks like we're getting where we could be heading to it right now. But what would it be like the atmosphere, Matt Stafford going into Ford Field, super wild card weekend to take on the Detroit Lions? Oh man, that story like this is what the NFL loves, right? Is this type of storyline that the Lions are going to host their first playoff game in 30 years. And the guy who was supposed to take them there was the guy that they traded away. Yep. And the quarterback that they have was the guy that the Rams didn't want. And and here we are staring down the barrel of Lions and Rams in Super Wildcard Weekend. I think it's great. I think it's great theater. And these are the things like I laugh at people that don't like sports and because <laughs> I'm like, oh, you guys are just crazy and whatever. I'm like, I'm like, and I know it's I know it's very cliche for us to say that on a sports radio station, but, and with the jobs that we do, but my thing is, is I'm like, this is the best reality TV that's out there. Yeah. I, and I'll be, Oh yeah, the scripted thing. Okay. Whatever jokes aside. Um, it's the best reality TV out there. You could not have written this script for the lions to be hosting Matthew Stafford and the Rams at the beginning of the season. I think a lot of people thought that the Rams were going to be very good. I think a lot of people thought that the Rams could win the division. I don't think anybody, myself included, thought that the Rams would be where they are. No chance. I, I didn't think that Sean McVay was going to be the coach next year. I didn't think Cooper Cup was going to be around. I thought that they were going to trade Matthew Stafford after the year because it was just going to go so poorly. And yet, here we are, the Rams, who are now the team that you don't want to face, especially mm -hmm. if you are the Detroit Lions. Because the Rams have been able to carve up defenses, and the pass defense for the Lions has not been good of late. Like if this is the game, like if I'm a if I'm a Lions fan, and I know a few of them, I'm a little nervous with that matchup. I'm not gonna lie. You know, it's a dome stadium. There's no weather being a factor. There's you know, sure you have your home field advantage because LA fans aren't really LA fans for both teams. But I look at it and say like I'm I'm not super confident that the Rams are not going to go out and just, they could just lay a beating on the Lions and everybody would be like, yeah, we kind of saw that coming the way the Rams have been playing. Uh, over in the AFC, it is still all kinds of jammed up with a couple of weeks to go. Um, you're familiar with it, but just to refresh everyone, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Houston, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Vegas, and uh, Denver, all within one game of each other, battling for essentially one spot. The South team is battling for two. Uh, but is there a team in that mess in the middle that uh, kind of stands out to you as a, a favorite right now to, to get into that last playoff spot in the AFC. Jeez. It's so tough. Like here's the other thing too, is like the way the schedule worked out. A lot of these teams play each other. Right. And yeah. that, and that's a big thing with all of this. There's something about the Colts that makes me wonder about them. Gardner Minshew has played. I mean, not last week, not included, but he's played really well this year, especially considering that he wasn't supposed to play this many games. Let's be real. Um, and they get Jonathan Taylor back this past week. They're a team that can run the football effectively. And I think that's a scary thing. Their defense, albeit has not been great at keeping points off the board, 
But what they've done is they've been able to make big game changing plays. And that's something that is a very, you know, to shift momentum in a playoff game is absolutely massive. You know, the Texans are another interesting team too. Like if they can get CJ Stroud back because Case Keenum, yeah, that great against the Tennessee Titans. Awesome. Uh, but then Davis Mills had to come in last game because he was horrible. If if CJ Stroud can get back and they get Nico Collins healthy, and I know he played last game. If 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 CJ Stroud comes back, the Houston defense is good enough. They're a team that I'm I wonder about too. Like if they get in, if they could make a little bit of noise. Like the other teams, I mean the Raiders, I just don't see it with with uh, Aiden O'Connell as a quarterback. The Steelers, I definitely don't see it. Although it's Mike Tomlin and. Who knows? The Bengals is the same. Like Jake Browning really came back to earth this past week. And so, like, I'll tell you the one thing, though, guys. I'm not convinced about the Jags getting into the playoffs mm-hmm, at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, they've been not good. Trevor Lawrence is banged. It feels like Trevor Lawrence probably shouldn't have played two weeks ago. Yeah. And now he gets hurt again. So, I- I'm looking at the-, the Jags and I'm saying, like, they were comfortable in that AFC for a one South. Seed. And now you look at it and go... <laughs> Yeah, we were, there were people talking about the Jags as a, you know, they win five in a row. Are they a dark horse Super Bowl contender? They're a dark horse to not make the playoffs at this point. Yeah. And, you know, they had the two games in London. The second, you know, they got to stay in London two weeks. They played the Bills and the and the Bills, you know, barely showed up. And that's when everything kind of started. They found their offense and their defense is, oh, look at all these big plays that they're making. They haven't made a play, it feels like, in forever. They've been not very good. The offense is really stagnant and, and it's been just kind of like blah. Like you, you expect more from Trevor Lawrence being the first overall pick. And, you know, I, I read some stats out prior to, to this week's game, his numbers in terms of, you know, passing yardage and total, well, not total passing yards, but passing and rushing yardage interceptions, um, touchdowns like all of these numbers i think it was passer rating completion percentage all of that he's comparable to like daniel jones guys in the same amount of games played he is comparable to daniel jones wow that's not a quarterback that is going to get it done for you it's not and so this is a guy who's going to get paid a lot of money in the next little bit and i don't know if it's because he's handsome and he's got the long flowing blonde hair but certainly the play on the field is not mesmerizing anybody so i don't think if if Houston gets in, I think Houston gets in as a as a wild card, and I think that Indy can win the division here. I know it gets a little convoluted because Houston does play Indy to end the year, but there's still a chance here. And so the Jags may be fortunate because those two teams play each other, but they're they're like a one and done for me. I don't see them being successful in the playoffs, especially if Trevor Lawrence has to come back from an injury. I just don't see it. Yeah, no, it's tough times in Duval County for sure. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, enjoy the final two weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for having me, guys, and uh, hope everyone had a great Christmas. Yes, and, you too. And a happy New Year to everyone out there. Yes, you as well, Maddie. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Maddie Marchese, host of The Fan. Check down on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We're up against it. Derek Newmeyer, uh, McKean's Hockey, talking World Juniors next. His big show rolls on here on Sportsnet 960. It's the holiday tradition. 2024 World Juniors underway. Day two of the tournament getting underway right now. They're 
in Gothenburg, Sweden. Canada will play their second game of the tournament later on this morning against Latvia. Right now, Germany's up 4-3 on Finland in the third period. Welcome back to the big show live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. And we are joined on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline by Derek Newmeyer of McKean's Hockey. Derek, uh, are you over in Gothenburg? No, I'm no? not, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I, I really wanted to make it this year, but just couldn't quite make it happen with my schedule and finances, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, but, that's all good. That's all yeah, good. Yeah, would have been a great trip. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Gothenburg, uh, I do like. I do love some, me some Sweden. Gothenburg is definitely a special place for sure. But uh, uh, Canada uh, got off to a winning start, uh, better than last year's opener. Uh, they would beat uh, beat Finland five two. Uh, big game from uh, from the goalie. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Matthias, or Matthias Rousseau. He's going to get the start again today against Latvia. Just fill us in uh, for those that uh, didn't get up early to watch that one yesterday. Yeah, it was a very very good win for Canada, and it was kind of textbook. It was exactly what they wanted to do. They controlled the play for most of the game. They managed to roll four lines and all three defense pairs pretty evenly and consistently. They got timely saves from Rousseau between the pipes, even though that was a bit of a question mark coming in. You know, he's an undrafted goalie. It's definitely Canada's biggest uh, weakness coming into this tournament, but he looked sharp, so that was very, very encouraging. And, yeah, they, they just utilized their depth and their balance. This is a team that doesn't have maybe as much pure firepower or star power as we're used to, especially after the show that Connor Bedard put on last year. So they're, they're going to need to have the buy-in from every single player on that roster to win gold again this year. And they definitely showed a lot of that um, yesterday. They definitely uh, executed their game plan pretty much exactly how they wanted to. Obviously, a lot of eyes in this tournament are going to be on uh, Macklin Celebrini. Uh, he gets a goal, maybe not in the way that people would have envisioned, uh, but he does end up getting a goal. Well, what did you see from the, the top prospect in the draft in his uh, world junior debut this year? Yeah, he had a really, really good showing, and I think it was really important for him to get that first goal out of the way because, you know, when when you're a young kid like that and you're playing in a tournament like this with, you know, such a big spotlight on it and you're playing against so many talented players who are older than you, I think for a player like that who does score a lot of goals normally, I think it will help him a lot to get that first one out of the way, you know, take that weight off his shoulders. But, yeah, I thought he had a great game. Um that greasy goal he scored, he, he does score a lot of those too. He, he's a very well-rounded forward. There's not really anything in his game that you could say is a weakness. He's a great shooter, a great playmaker, very committed defensively. He's not afraid to try and get to the net or fight for pucks in the corners. He's very, very well-rounded. And we saw a lot of that yesterday. You know, he was very responsible uh, without the puck. He was generating some things offensively. He used the timing and instincts to get to the net to get that goal he scored. So, yeah, it was a great showing for him. Uh, maybe a little bit of rust or maybe a little bit of nerves uh, early on. But I think now that he has that first goal out of the way, we're going to see him take his game to a higher level than we've already seen so far. The the one note I had, and by all means, correct me if, uh, if you think I'm off on this one. It felt like he was a little bit confused between like what his role was and what he could do. Because like he, he's playing kind of a middle six role with this Canadian team. He probably hasn't been a middle six forward on a team he's played on since he was like five years old. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it kind of felt like he was like, but I but I could just score right now. Um, did, did you kind of see like a bit of almost inner turmoil in, well, I'm a kind of checking forward, but also I might be the best offensive player here. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, with this tournament, you see a lot of players playing out of their roles, guys who are used to being, you know, number one defensemen on their team in either the OHL or the WHL or what have you, now playing a number five or number six role. So you have a lot of guys who are kind of having to, you know, play in a place they're not used to, try and fit into a different system. And that's obviously harder for younger players than the older ones. Like some of these guys have played for Team Canada before, they're used to coming to an international tournament and going from a first-line center to a third-line center. With Celebrini, yeah, it's, it's, this is the first time he's really had to do something like that. When he's played internationally with Canada before, he's still been a top-six guy, someone who's you know on top power play, getting a lot of ice time. So there's certainly an adjustment for him, but he's such a smart player, just so wise and mature beyond his years. He's going to figure it out sooner or later. But, yeah, I think it was fair to expect a little bit of uncertainty in that first game, and there definitely was a bit. But I I wouldn't expect it going forward in the tournament. You had talked before about how Canada kind of played the the style of game they wanted to, and it felt like the the tone was set from that with the the Beck, Danielson, and uh, Allard line. Um, What did you see from them? It kind of looked like a group that this country is going to fall in love with over the next 10 days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always one of Canada's biggest strengths at these kind of tournaments is being able to defend very, very well and have a bunch of guys who are very talented and are used to playing higher in a lineup form a very, very solid checking line. I mean, Danielson is a fantastic prospect. I've watched him a lot uh, just scouting the WHL, you know, based out of Calgary over the last few years. You know, fantastic skater, great work ethic. Very, very good two-way center. You know, he can kind of do a little bit of everything. He's very frustrating for other teams to play against because he's so fast and he can close gaps so quickly. Same thing with Beck, same thing with Allard. And they're kind of like a prototypical checking line for this sort of tournament. They're not necessarily like the most physical group of guys, but on the bigger international ice, you need guys who can skate and still apply pressure. You know, they, they need to have the energy to get up and down the ice and you know give 110% every shift without getting gassed and they showed a lot of that uh, in the opener against Finland but yeah I think they're going to be a very very important line for Canada because the top two scoring lines are going to be facing a lot of the top defensive groups or matchups from the other teams so it's going to open things up for that third line to try and not just defend and check but also generate a little bit of offense when they get the chance. You mentioned the big ice there um looking at it from a, a scouting standpoint how does the evaluation of these players at this tournament change given that the ice surface is a touch larger than what we're going to be seeing out here in North America? Yeah, it gives you a chance to look at certain things in their game a little bit more. Um, on, on North American ice, it's a lot smaller, so it's more contested. You see more puck battles. You see more scrums. You watch a player, you know, how they perform around the net, you know, more, more tips, more battling for positions, stuff like that. In a tournament like this, when there's more space, you look at a little bit more of their skating ability, their puck control, some of their creativity. You know, when they've got more time and space to make a decision about what they're going to do, you can see their brain working a little bit differently, trying to process things and find new ways to get behind the defense. So it doesn't change a whole lot dramatically because all these players, you know, all the top prospects, if they do end up making it to the NHL, we're not going to be seeing them on this ice surface. But it does give you a unique ability to look at certain aspects of the player's game that you might not see to the same level just scouting them normally. 
Uh, Derek, uh, Canada obviously coming in likely the favorite, defending champion and all. They've got Sweden, the hosts, in their group. Obviously, uh, and then in Group B, you have the Americans. Out of Sweden and the U.S., who do you think would give Canada the biggest run for a gold medal? Because I, I, really, like, I know it, it feels blasphemous to say as a Canadian, but watching the USA hockey program over the last few years and where they're going, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, it's going to be close between the two. I mean, on paper, I would have to say the United States because they have a lot of talent. They've got talent at forward. They've got talent on the blue line. They have two very, very good goalies uh, with Trey Augustine and Jacob Fowler. It's just a great roster. And a lot of these guys know each other from the United States yeah. National Team Development Program, like the line of uh, Gabe Perot, Will Smith, and Ryan Leonard. I mean, those guys played together last year. They play together this year in college as well. So there's so much chemistry that the United States team has that Canada doesn't and that Sweden doesn't. But you'd be foolish to kind of underestimate Sweden in this tournament because they have that home ice advantage. You know, they're not maybe as skilled or deep overall in terms of roster depth, but, you know, they're used to this ice surface. I mean, most of their guys play on this ice surface um, all year round. And, yeah, they're going to have the home crowd behind them. So Sweden will certainly be a tough out as well. But on paper, it's probably going to be the United States. It'll be the biggest uh, hurdle for Canada to overcome. Because I just look at this U.S. roster. Like, there's these are guys that are going to be in the NHL sooner rather than later. You got the captain, Rutger McGroarty with the Jets. Will Smith, uh, obviously the Nashville Predator pro, uh, prospect. Cutter Gauthier with the Flyers. Uh, like, this is a team that's going to be coming for a while. Like, how big is just having that U.S. developmental team, just as a team, just rolling around in the USHL? Just how big is that for that hockey program? Oh, it's huge. I mean, you can't deny the results. I mean, every year that, that program comes up with just a great crop of prospects. I mean, they're picking from the whole country. You know, it's, it's a pretty huge advantage to be able to find the best players from coast to coast and invite them to the program. But it's also just very, very well run, well managed. Like the access to developmental resources, to coaches, to trainers, like everything that goes on with that program is just so well done. It's so high end. Like, you'd be hard-pressed to find any other places that are better for a young prospect to develop. And, yeah, the results are kind of indisputable. I mean, the United States is consistently very, very good on the international level. Every year at the draft, there's three or four more players from that program who get picked in the first round, you know, as many as 10 or more throughout the draft. So it's, it's hard to deny the results and uh, what the, the program is able to accomplish. Uh, if Canada is going to get past the, the Americans or, or the Swedes, obviously goaltending is a big topic of conversation out here. Uh, but aside from goaltending, is there or did you see a, a flaw in the Canadian game uh, against Finland that maybe they need to, to work on over the next few days? Mm, maybe not so much in the first game, but you do have to wonder a little bit about just the star power or, or the game-breaking ability of this team. I mean, we saw this last year with Connor Bedard in tight games. He was the type of player who had so much skill that he could get the puck on a stick and just create something out of nothing all by himself. And that turned out to be huge at a couple of different points in that tournament. This year's Canadian roster doesn't have that quite to the same degree. I mean, there's some very, very talented players like Matt Savoy, as an example, the Buffalo Sabres first rounder, you know, scoring at two points per game in the WHL. But you might worry a little bit about that. You know, if it's going to be a tie game against Sweden or USA in the elimination rounds, you know, Canada's going to need a goal maybe down late. Who's going to be that guy who's going to be able to step up? I mean, I talked about the depth and the balance and rolling four lines, and that's good for most of the tournament. But sometimes you just need that little bit of extra juice 
to kind of separate yourself from the opponents. So I'm, I'm very curious to see which of the Canadian players will be able to kind of step up their game at, at big times like that. Uh, just looking at, at other prospects around, there was obviously one, uh, another one in the, the Finland game against Canada uh, with Hellenius out there. Uh, well, what did you note from him? It looks like skating is not necessarily an issue. <laughs> one of the notes I had was he even glides fast. Uh, like it just, <laughs> he was flying around out there. Well, what, uh, from your more educated point of view, what did you see from him? Yeah, he's a tremendously skilled player. And, you know, like Celebrini, incredibly smart and wise beyond his years. He's been playing in uh, the top pro league in Finland, not just this year, but full-time last year as well, which is pretty remarkable. And he's playing a top six role for this Finnish club, despite being only 17 years old, which is also very, very impressive. But yeah, the skating is certainly the first thing you notice. And it's how he uses it as well. He's got a great work ethic, great motor, you know, very, very confident player, very fearless, despite being a little on the uh, smaller side. You know, it is whenever he has the puck on his stick, he usually knows exactly what to do. He can make something happen with it. And he's very committed defensively. He's he's kind of like a like a water bug out there. He's very annoying to play against because he's always in your face. He's always chasing you down if you're his check. You know, he's, he's just the type of player who never hurts you, which is why the Finnish coaches, both professionally and this tournament, are so comfortable, you know, playing him a lot and in big situations. He's definitely going to be a guy who draws a lot of attention as a top 10 pick in the 2024 draft. Uh, you mentioned that that player there, and then obviously Macklin Celebrini, who's projected to be the first overall pick. Maybe not even on Canada, but who else in this tournament uh, is going to use this tournament to try and elevate their draft status? Because, I mean, I, people forget, like, this is not the be-all, end-all tournament. This is kind of like the Ivan Holinka, just for older players. It's just it's in the time of year where everybody's watching TV, and maybe Canadians pay more attention to it. But if your prospect's not doing well or whatnot, but what are some players that can really, with a good tournament, really strengthen their draft status heading towards June? Yeah, there's a defenseman on the United States named Zeev Booyam, who is uh, he's playing in college this year, and he's scoring at a more than a point per game pace, which is very impressive considering he's a defenseman. Um, he would have been eligible for the draft last year, but he was he's a late birthday, so we missed it by, I think, a couple months. But, yeah, he's, he's got a really big chance here. Um, he's very good at the puck. He's a power play quarterback uh, on his team in college. You know, a pretty agile and elusive skater. Very, very smart offensively. But he's in a bit of a different role here. He's not going to be getting as much ice time. He's going to have to defend more and maybe not get so much of the juicy offensive starts and power play time. So it's going to be an interesting test for him just to see how he can perform in a different role. And, and you're right. You don't want to put too much stock in a tournament like this. You can't, you know, bump a guy straight into the first round or yeah. drop him off your list altogether because of a tournament like this, because there's so many different variables at play. But you can certainly watch a player and see how they respond to a different scenario, how they perform in a different environment. And, you know, you can, there's certainly data and information you can take from, from these sort of situations. From a flame standpoint, we only have one prospect uh, in this tournament to focus on. <laughs> have been blessed with two 4 a.m. starts out here for him. Uh, but uh, Samuel Hanzik with Slovakia uh, gets a goal in the game against Switzerland today. Um, I, I don't know if you, you've uh, woke up early to, to watch Slovakia, Czech Republic and Slovakia, Switzerland. Uh, but have you caught anything of what he's done in this tournament? What have you thought? And just in general, what do you view uh, Hanzik as as a prospect? I haven't watched the game today. I did not get up at 4 a.m., but I will you. have the ability to. <laughs> I know I will have the ability to rewatch it, and I will because I want to see some players on both of those teams. 
Yeah, it's really good that Hanzik is able to be here. He missed, he missed a lot of time due to injury uh, at the start of the season, so he hasn't been playing a lot in the WHL. And he, if you guys remember, he also got injured at last year's tournament. So he was out for the Slovakians when they were you know, in the elimination game, which could have been a huge difference for them because he's such a talented player. So, yeah, it's really nice and encouraging to see him actually get to play. And the fact that he's scoring goals must be great for his confidence, too. I mean, he's a talented player who just had some bad luck. So the hope is that, you know, he can stay healthy all tournaments. You know, he's already helped Slovakia to two wins. They're 2-0 so far, which is a great start. I mean, if he has a really, really good tournament, that'll be a great thing for his development. He's getting great experience. He can build some confidence. And hopefully, if he has a good tournament overall, he can carry that back to Vancouver and the WHL once the tournament is done. Uh, Derek, I want to ask you about a player who's not at this tournament, uh, maybe could be here next year, but he's having a hell of a time right now uh, in his first full year with the Kelowna Rockets, and it's the last name that uh, we know very well around here. Uh, talk to me about Tija Ginla and uh, how how he's rocketed up draft boards. Yeah, Tija is great. I mean, sometimes when you watch a player who's the son of a, of a former NHL, you can just tell. Mm-hmm. They've been around hockey players their whole lives. They've been around rinks. They just kind of carry themselves a little bit differently. And with Tej, it's it's so obvious. You can tell he's just he's so smart about about hockey. He's so used to it. Like he doesn't seem to be phased by pressure. You know, he he wants to be the center of attention. He's got that confidence to him that is so hard to find. And you know, there's certainly a lot of skill too. He's one of the best shooters in the entire draft. I mean, anywhere in the offensive zone get him the puck and he's a threat to score, which is really, really rare. But he's also so much more than that. You know, he's a, he's a very committed defensive player. He's a good playmaker. His skating is improving a lot, which is really important because it was kind of a question mark for him uh, previously. He doesn't quite have uh, as much sandpaper as his dad, as his dad did. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, Jerome was pretty darn tough. But uh, Tease doesn't back down from a challenge. You know, he's not going to go out there looking for trouble, but if someone gets in his face, he's going to push back, which is pretty important too. I mean, yeah, there's just so much to like. He's been a – I don't know if we've had a chance to see the best of him in mm-hmm. Kelowna this year because they're in a bit of a tough spot as a team. They don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of talent. They're not exactly one of the stronger teams in the league. But, yeah, he's don't, – don't get me wrong. He's a very, very talented player. He's really cementing himself as a first-round pick in this draft mm-hmm. and could go as high as a top 10 or top 15 because he just keeps progressing at such a nice pace. Wouldn't that look nice for the Flames uh, drafting another again? Well, they didn't draft the first again, but draft this again. That would be pretty cool. Uh, Derek, uh, yeah, uh, Derek, assistant uh, director of scouting, head West scout over at McKean's Hockey. Uh, outside of the tournament, what else do you got working on at McKean's? Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's always different things going on all the time. Um, always scouting for the next draft. You know, I'm watching a lot of players in this tournament just to make sure that, you know, I have a good feel for what they are and where we're going to rank them. But, you know, there's always going to be other hockey being played too. Uh, the other leagues are going to be starting up again soon in mm-hmm. the WHL here and the OHL in Europe. So we'll be doing a lot of video work there. Uh, we did just update our draft rankings at McKean's uh, in December. So that's pretty new. And we're also uh, – putting some new uh, video content out there. So we're talking more about our rankings, why we have certain players ranked where they are, you know, what we like, what we don't like. So we've got some of that content up on YouTube and we're going to be doing a world junior recap as well. Once the tournament's over. So there's always lots of different things going on. Derek, all the best uh, the rest of this year and all into the new year and enjoy the tournament. We'll, we'll talk again soon. I'm sure. 
Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. No problem, buddy. There you go. There's Derek Newmeyer, uh, Assistant Director of Scouting at Head West Scout uh, with McKean's Hockey. Uh, a lot of good stuff over there. Uh, they got they got Tiege ranked at number 15 in the latest uh, in the rankings for Tiege Ginla, So, Well, that's right around the, where the Flames have that's lived draft-wise for a decade. Yeah, so. that's, that's right where they'll be picking, probably. So, uh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. To, yeah, that'd be quite the thing. I know it'd be a lot of pressure and everything, but uh, <laughs> you hey, think? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Uh, you got to live up to the greatest player in team history, but sure. Yeah. Uh, but no, there you go. There's Derek Neumeyer on all things uh, World Juniors. Uh, Germany uh, still leading 4-3. Uh, Finland's now out shooting them 40-25, to but getting late Ooh. here. Uh, five minutes and 20 seconds ago, Germans on the power play looking for a... Uh, a game winner here, maybe. Obviously, a while ago, but it was like shots were like 12 3 at yeah, one point Germany for Germany. Was, yeah, Germany was out shooting them, but then Finland's kind of taking it over here. But Germany getting the, the goal, not some good goaltending, I guess, from Finland. Yeah. And the country that produces all the goalies. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yes, yeah, there we go. There's our little World Juniors talk. We'll, uh, the tournament will uh, resume for Canada coming up at 11 30 against Latvia. Uh, it is Calgary Flames game day. They welcome the Seattle Kraken to the Scotiabank Saddledome tonight. Uh, 6.30 for Flames Talk pregame, 7.30 for the puck drop. We'll also have Flames Talk coming your way at 4 o'clock. The voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us next as uh, we get into the final hour of Big Show here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.